Thanks for coming. Uh, how many heard the wind? How many were woke up by the wind last night? How many of you have a lawn and landscape business and had a bunch of trees laying down this morning? Anybody? Anybody? Oh, that, oh, that would be me. Um, yeah, no, last night I woke up and I heard all this wind blowing through and I'm like, wow, man, I, I thought somebody's screaming in my house, which wouldn't be unusual for my two-year-old yelling, mom, mom, come get me at three o'clock in the morning. But it wasn't him. And so I was like, what in the world? But it was just blowing like crazy. And then on the way over to church this morning, I'm like, that beautiful news, seven highway quick trip, you know, that's going in. All of a sudden I see trees like that were straight that are now like this. It was a bummer. But it was evidence of what the, the power of the wind and the power of what God can do um, in, in, through just, I mean, a storm. Power of what God can do through a storm. And so for you in this room, that's, that's, that's for all of us. You know, it's amazing what the power of God can do in the midst of a storm in your life. And it's amazing what God can do in the, in the power of, of what God's done in your life and what God continues to do in your life. Um, and, and when we talk about that, we talk about our testimony. We talk about, we, last week we started this series called Before and After. And the before and after is what, what, what we were like before Christ and now what we are after Christ. You know, the disciples who walked with him for three years, with Jesus for three years, got to hear him teach, got to get to know him on a personal basis. And there was a dramatic difference between the way the disciples walked and, and handled themselves and, and walked with um, doubts and, 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 and concern than after they see Christ resurrected from the dead, that it all changed. The resurrection changed everything. And so, you know, Easter, we came out of Easter and that's, that's the whole thing. He's alive. He's alive. And so that changed everything. And so if that changed everything, that should change you. The recognition of the resurrection should change you um, because it, it, it changed everything. And so um, in all that, the before and after we just talked about, we're going to have testimonies every week. Why are we going to have testimonies? Because in Rome, Revelation 12, verses 10, it says, I'm going to read it for you real quickly. It said, then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, now have come the salvation and the power in the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah, Jesus. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. The accuser, Satan, accusing you, accusing them, accusing me, day and night, it says. Accusing. Do you ever feel accused? You ever hear whispers of accusation about how, how can you even sit in this place? How can you even talk about God the way you live? Accuser. And it says, how did they, what did they do? In verse 11, it says, they triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb, Jesus Christ on the cross, blood of the lamb, and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. So, in all that, that passage tells us that all these things, we're going to get accused. We're going to get all these things bombarding us, all these thoughts of all the dumb things we've done in our life. We talked last week about Thomas and about Peter, and Thomas doubted. Even so much, we read it as a testimony. It's like, can you believe I walked with Jesus for three years? I saw him raise Lazarus from the dead. And what happened? When he raised himself from the dead, I didn't believe it. And I, I said, I won't believe it unless I can feel the, the nails in his hands and, the, and in his side. Thomas had to be like, I can't believe I'm so stupid. I can't believe that Jesus was so willingly accommodating and, and meeting me in my doubts. You know, what a, what a beautiful testimony that was of Thomas. Because Thomas is saying to everybody, man, God met me in my doubts. All those things that I just couldn't figure out, that I couldn't get over, those hurdles I couldn't get over to really truly believe, God met me there, and he was gracious. You know, we talked about Peter and how Peter, in the midst of being so adamant that he was God's number, Jesus' number one defender, that there was nothing that anybody was going to do to him because Peter, Peter the guy that cut the soldier's ear off, with a sword because he was defending his, his Lord and Savior. Peter, when it came to his own skin,
skin when Jesus was about to be crucified and they were, and Peter was fearful for his own life. What did he do? He denied Christ three times. Jesus told him he was going to do it and he did it again. He did it three times. Now, how awful would you feel? How awful would you feel in that, in that moment? But the power in that testimony is, you know, Peter telling that testimony is, you'll never believe it. I know you've done some bad things, but have you ever denied Christ straight to his face with him watching? Have you ever denied that? Have you? Peter did. And what Jesus did there is the power in that, is that Jesus reinstated him. Jesus said, Peter, do you love me? And feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Then take care of my lambs. So God met Peter in the midst of all of that. God met Thomas in the midst of all that. And the stories that we read about that, that's really, that story is Thomas's testimony. That story is one of Peter's testimony. And that's why you got to know your testimony. We talked about last week about the before and after dot church. The website, you can go to beforeandafter.church and put your testimony up there. We want to hear what your testimony is. We want to not only hear it, we want, we want you to know it. We want you to make the effort and take the time to actually write it out and know what your testimony is. Because you sit here and you, you're going to see a, somebody come here in a minute and give their testimony. You might go, man, I mean, how many, how many heard Doug and, and Wendell over the last couple of weeks? And you're like, oh my gosh, I mean, that was powerful. I mean, I've seen it on Facebook. I've heard it in all kinds of different circles. That was powerful. That can be you too. You just telling your testimony and you probably think, oh, I don't have much of a testimony. That's a lie. The accuser is lying to you. He's telling you lies. God has done big things in your life. And it's time that you recognize them. And it's time that you learn to talk about them. Because that's how you're going to triumph. Is you're going to go, blood of Jesus Christ and the word of my testimony of what he's done in my life. That is how you triumph. So today, we're going to live in triumph again. We've got another person within us here at Gateway. He's another football coach. He is another key, unbelievable person in our school district. We are so blessed in this school district to have the people that we have in this church and have the partnership with this school district. And so today, another one of our own is coming to give their testimony, and we want to give them a big hand. Derek Wilson, come on. hot I mean is the mic on I don't mean am I hot Jennifer you should be yelling right now (laughs) that was a test Jennifer that was a test I don't know if you passed been a long time since 1999 had it Jennifer October 16th 99 when we got married so um, my name is Derek Wilson I am so excited to be up here today thanks for having me Scott thanks for the introduction I do appreciate it I am really excited to share with you my testimony, and um, it's hard to follow those, Doug, Foo, goodness great. It's like following, you say in TV, never follow children or animals. I feel like I'm following both. This is, this is going to be really difficult to follow those two, but I, have, I think I have an interesting story that is really a story of transition, <clears throat> and let me just take you back to my childhood, um, a very poor childhood. Um, I know what it's like to grow up on food stamps and to live in uh, places that uh, most people would, would never want to live. I know what that's like. But I always had a loving mother and father who uh, took us to church, me and my sister Dana. And in that church, it was a church that my great-grandfather built, Lake Avenue Baptist Church. Great-great-grandfather built that church in St. Joseph. And, and we attended church regularly. But as I was sharing with Scott the other day when we had a chance to speak, I thought we kind of played pretend church. And I've mentioned that before, that 
we went to church on Sunday, we met for an hour and a half, and then we went home, and that was kind of it. There wasn't any outreach, there wasn't anything in the community, it was just an hour and a half on Sundays, 90 minutes, and, and that's what we did, and that was my impression of, of church, but it, it never really motivated me to gain any type of depth or relationship with Jesus, so... Um, I grew up in that time feeling very, very um, self-conscious about our economic situation. So my coaches would take me home. I played sports year-round. Coaches would take me home, and I would say, uh, yeah, Coach Nelson or whomever, yeah, I, I live right over here. And he'd take me to that house, and it was what I thought was a beautiful home. It was probably like a two-bedroom, two-bath house, but to me, that was a mansion, and he would drop me off, and I'd wave at him, and coach would go around the corner, and I would hightail it about a mile and a half to where I actually lived, but I was so embarrassed of where I lived. hope my mother and father never listened to this podcast. <clears throat> I was so embarrassed of that that I would not let anybody take me home. And so that feeling of insecurity led me to, I mean, from an early age, in, the, in sixth grade, I did a book report, my, my sixth grade teacher used to love to tell this story. Richard Hecker would tell a story about it on the sixth grade. I wrote a book report on how to beat the Dow. I loved investing from the time I was young. And I was not going to live the way that I was living. It was not going to happen. I was going to figure out a way to not make that happen. So um, that's what I was passionate about. And so I went to college and I and I pursued a finance degree, I pursued law, and I pursued a lot of things in an effort to make me feel better about what it was that I was missing in my childhood. Now let me talk to you about the transition. At the age of 17, the summer before my senior year, I went on a Young Life trip to um, Windy Gap, North Carolina, and that's where I accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior. That's where I was saved. I remember the tree. I bet it would be much bigger now, but I could walk right to that tree where I was leaning up against, <clears throat> and that's where I gave my life to Christ, but it wasn't that easy. So that's really a nice pivotal moment, and maybe if it were a movie, then like everybody starts singing and everything's great from that point forward. Not for me, because uh, I went from that point to college, and college happened. And there were many years in college where I fell away from the person that I know I was designed to be. And so this roller coaster ride continued, these various periods of transition in my life where I would, I would become closer to Christ and then I would fall away. And I would work my way back to where I thought I was in a good place and then I would fall away. And I started um, teaching in 1996, Park Hill High School. And I've always had great relationships with my students, but not like today. It was very, it was very surface-oriented, and um, it was really more about maybe how people could help me win baseball games. I was a varsity baseball coach, or help us win football games. And it, there was no depth, again, to what I was doing. And I guess the biggest part of my story is, and I'm going to share some really specifics here in a moment, but... It's not a linear quest to Jesus for all of us. There are a lot of ups and downs in this world. And maybe you feel like you're on a roller coaster from time to time, and you have a lot of peaks and valleys, and, and I did too. Uh, and then I was lucky enough to meet Jennifer. She stalked me. Um, that's the story. Yeah, because I'm hot, as I, as I mentioned. I was about 60 pounds less hot at the time. Uh, that's okay. Um, but anyway, we started teaching together, and, and uh, there was this cute girl I had hall duty with, and, and we started talking, and we started dating in 1997. I said, um, to tell you where my priorities were, Jennifer, I'd love to marry you, but you must go through two football seasons before I will agree to that, because you have to understand the time commitment of football, and uh, how shallow. I mean, I know some of you ladies wanted to throw something at me right now. I wouldn't blame you, but uh, Jennifer did that, and then in October of 1999, we got married, and we had it all figured out. I was 27 years old. Uh, Jennifer, obviously, is many years younger than me. She's really not. She just looks like it. Um, and we had it. I was gonna, we were going to have kids when we were 30, and then 
those kids would, at the age of 22, when they're done with college, we would be 52, which is the year we could both retire from teaching. I mean, we had this figured out. Blueprint, written down. And just like the good book reminds us many times, it's not your plans. And those plans didn't work out. And we tried and tried to have children. Um, didn't work out. Then we went to Overland Park. Um, don't you start crying. Can't look at her anymore. So went to Overland Park to this um, to a fertility doctor, Dr. Braybeck or Drabeck or I can't remember her name now. Um, there's some people in this audience right now that are currently in this same pursuit. And they said, if you'll spend enough money, if you're willing to, if you're willing to forego the money, you're going to have children. I said, not a problem. That will not be a problem. Um, I didn't talk about that, but for years I left education and I opened my own business. And I ran that business for years and we were, we were very, very successful. I was very blessed in that, in that capacity. And I, and I thought that would make me happy. And then I'm jumping around on you a little bit, but in that pursuit of all that money, and uh, Jennifer used to get mad at me, there would be, I thought I was cool. There probably wasn't a day that walked by for four or five years that I didn't walk around with ten or $15,000 in my pocket every day. Um, that's, we were making a lot of money in the business, businesses that I was running. Um, I bought a $119,000 stretch Hummer on eBay one night because I was bored. That's how much money we were making. <clears throat> and then about four years into that, I collapsed onto my knees one night as we're going through this whole process of trying to have children. And my life, it was the most empty time in my life that I could remember. I had no relationship with God. I was not making a positive impact on anyone. All I was focused on was trying to make that little poor kid feel better about who he was in the shallowest of ways. Um, but I was so convinced, we had this blueprint, it's going to happen, we're going to spend the money, and so we went to Overland Park, um, and they have a great unit down there for fertility, but that didn't work. We went to South Africa, which is, they have one of the foremost fertility clinics in the world in South Africa. We flew to South Africa. I was going to do anything to have a kid. I knew that in the end, when we did that last uh, IUI, I believe it was called, and they implanted that, that fertilized egg, that was going to be our kid. Well, it was the last of uh, many disappointments, and yeah, I was so sure, like I was so sure that I had this figured out, because I could solve the problem, and I had the money, and I knew the answers that this is going to work. I was so sure that at the All-Star game, I had this made. Will you tell me the name on the top of that, please? Cooper Wilson. That's what I was going to name my son. Well, I just took... I took this bat out of the FedEx box that it came in this morning. This is what God thinks of your well-designed plans. It doesn't work like that. Now, but don't think he doesn't have a plan. He's got a plan. So, I don't have Cooper Wilson, but I got Simeon. And I got Bryant LeVar. And I got Avion and Daniel Parker and Aaron King, and Andy Gilmore, and Demetrius Davis, and the hundreds of kids that go into my classroom every day, and the kids I've had the honor to coach, those are my kids. Because that was God's plan. And it doesn't mean it's not hurtful. I mean, those are it's real tears. Those are real tears. But I trust that it is God's plan. There's no doubt in my mind that he designed that. And I don't always know why. And we had some really angry conversations with one another. Um, 
but I believe it. Sometimes we just don't know why things happen. Amen to that? Amen. I want to reference a few scriptures. If you want to turn to Hebrews in your book, if you have it, turn to Hebrews 10, 38. And the interesting thing about Hebrews, why I wanted to reference Hebrews today is because there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of debate who actually wrote Hebrews. There's no consensus on who wrote the book of Hebrews. Um, some people think it was Barnabas. Uh, some people think it was this guy named Apollos, who was, a, who was really a literary scholar at the time. There's no consensus. My point there is that it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who wrote it. These are God-breathed words. And at 1028, 38, pardon me, it says, Now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. The just shall live by faith. Trust the plan. If you turn over to Hebrews 12, 2, very quickly, it says, Look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And if you have a study Bible, that the word look is the key there. And it is to focus your story, your hurt, your anger to focus on Jesus, not on your own understanding, not on the doctors at Overland Park fertility, not on the people in South Africa who were so good to us. I was focused on all these humans surrounding us in those, in those days, and I don't know that I ever fully focused on Jesus. And we're reminded in Isaiah 5.21, don't turn there, but it says, woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. How many times do we do that? We think we have the better answer. We have the blueprint. We know how this should have happened. We know how that should have happened. And we go into this manipulative cognitive mind that we have in an attempt to manipulate the outcomes of things instead of looking at him. That's where we get into trouble. I'm going to give you an example of how we've all benefited. Well, how many Royals fans we got in here? Got a handful of Royals fans? All right. Good. You'll remember this. The Royals got prospects from Milwaukee, but that in and of itself means nothing. See, prospects mean nothing. Every team has them. The question from Kansas City's perspective is this. Did they get players who can help them win? I've spent the day asking baseball friends that very question. This is an article from Joe Poznaski immediately following the trade of Zach Greinke. Cy Young winner. Can't trade Greinke. Can't get rid of Greinke. The answers are mixed. This trade from Kansas City's perspective is complicated and foggy. And in the end, probably pretty unsatisfying if you're a Royals fan. Technically, I suppose Escobar and Kane might not fit the description of prospect because they both had enough major league experience. They'll not be considered rookies. But if I'm using the term loosely here as players, you might expect to be significantly better as they mature and develop. Neither Escobar nor Kane have proven anything on the big league level yet. And we were all pissed. Trading Zach Greinke, what are you thinking? Who's this Kane guy? Who's this Escobar guy? By the way, there was another guy thrown into that trade named Jake Odorizzi, who they later traded for James Shields and another closer that you might remember named Wade Davis. We didn't know the plan. And although we were upset and Joe Poznaski was calling out Dayton Moore, he had a plan. Well, our church is in a little period of transition too. And that's okay. That's okay. Because... Scott Hatfield's not here anymore, and we love Scott and his family. And some of you are really upset about that, 
Some of you might be happy about that. Or you might be in that long continuum in between of those two feelings. What I would encourage you to do is to not lean on your own understanding, but to focus on Jesus. Because I'll promise you this, Jesus Christ is much smarter than Dayton Moore. Jesus knows the plan. And it may not happen in the time frame that you'd like it to happen. Like Doug said when he was at the bridge, and he spoke about Lazarus and that Jesus waited two days before he came and raised Lazarus from the dead. And like Doug said, I don't know why he waited two days. But it sometimes takes the worst moment in your life to create the best moment. It took the worst moment in the history of humanity on Good Friday so that there could be an Easter. Sometimes you got to go through turmoil. Sometimes you got to have a miscarriage so you can be impactful in the lives of hundreds of kids. Sometimes that's what it takes. And you have to be tough enough to withstand it and to focus your eyes on the cross. Thanks for letting me share with you today. Wow. That was powerful. Thank you, Derek. Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you for your, I, you know, I, when I asked Derek about it, I, you know, one of the things that is unbelievable and one of the reasons I wanted you to know that story is the impact that that, that couple has had on the school district is unreal. Unreal. You know, I don't, you may or may not know it, but I mean, every week that bleacher is filled with people that come and hear the word of God and, and get to rub shoulders with all of you. And you know what? You know what the beautiful thing is? Derek and Jennifer, I thought I, thought I had it rough. I mean, I'll be honest. I, taking a, a family of eight kids, 10 people to a restaurant is rough. I'm telling you, for a person who spent a lot of my years single and ate out every meal, it was rough having to pay that bill for the 10. They do it every Sunday. They take anybody and everybody that comes out for lunch, and they pay for it. Is that, I mean, that's something we should applaud. That, that, is, that is powerful. But it's not just shallow lunch conversation. They also went out, and all these guys are excited about learning about what Jesus did for them and about learning about what, how, how God molded and shaped these two people that are so powerfully impacting their lives that they're like, I want to know him. You know, how can you sit here and listen to Derek Wilson get up here today and not go, I want to know that God. I want to know that God in the midst of my infertility. I want to know that God that brought me up out of that place. I want to know that God that brought me up out of every low spot that I've ever been in. I want to know him. I want to know him because I want to know him because of Derek and Jennifer, because of what God's done in their life. And so I don't know how you could not be a part of that and not want that also. And I don't know, and that's why I know that those, those students up there, those players, those kids, and it's not just football players that come, and, but those kids, those players, those young men and women, they wanted to learn. So what did they do? We were out to eat with Derek and Jennifer one night, and they were running out to Mardell. Why? To go pick up like 20 Bibles because they all wanted to learn. That's power, that's impact, that is triumphing by the word of their testimony. That's what that is. That's why we all can do that. We just have to be less self-focused and less self-centered and more trusting that, you know what? I've had my roller coaster moments and I don't know about you, but I sat there watching him going, you know what? I've had all those peaks and valleys too. I've had those moments where I'm like, golly, I don't, I'm, how did I get here again? I love the fact that he spoke honestly about that. And at the end of the day, you just have to come back to falling down on your knees going, God, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I need you. 
I need you. Make something of this mess of a life that I've created. That's what it's all about. Is you crying out and saying, Lord, I, I believe in you. And because of the word of the testimony of Doug and Wendell and, and, and Derek, I'm, God, I, I believe you even more. You know, I wasn't sure before, but now hearing that story and identifying with that story, I go, I, I, I got to believe that. Because there's proof, there's truth, it's powerful. That is why we share our testimonies. Because it inspires us, it moves us. It's important. So for you, please, don't ever shrink back. That verse right after Hebrews 10, 38, that Derek referenced, it's 1039 is our family verse. And I referenced it many times. I tell my kids this, we used to have it on a big wall thing that says but right after that verse it says but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed but those who believe and are saved and so I tell my kids all the time don't shrink back don't shrink back when it's when it's hard don't shrink back when you want to quit don't shrink back don't shrink back that's what Jesus would say to you don't shrink back it's what his word says. You know, I take no pleasure in those who shrink back. So whatever it is you're facing today, whether it's divorce, whether it's broken relationships, whether it's heartbreak, heart, uh, you know, hard times, whatever it is, don't shrink back. Don't do it. Hold on. The Bible says, and I was going to say this later, but I'm going to say it now. The Bible tells us to do a few things. One is stand firm. Always. It says stand firm. It, you can look it up repeatedly. Those two words come together. Stand firm. And you'll see the deliverance of God. Stand firm. Don't shrink back. The other thing it says in Hebrews, in that same ver chapter 10, which I, I encourage you, wherever you're at in life, I encourage you to read Hebrews 10. Maybe that's your Bible study this week. Just dig into Hebrews 10 and ask God to speak to you in the midst of it. But Hebrews 10 says that we must hold, hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. Okay? Hold unswervingly. You know, so stand firm and hold. And then, as we're going to see in a minute in Acts 1... So if you got your Bibles, turn in Acts 1. The third thing it says in there, it's, Jesus told them to wait. Wait. So stand firm, hold, and wait. So I'm gonna, uh, we're going to get started, and I'm going to ask, we're going we're gonna to get started, and we're going to roll. So this is going to move fast here. So, but I'm going to ask that you just pray this quick prayer with me, because I believe that God will answer this prayer. So you pray it for yourself as I pray. God, I'm just asking you to please speak loud. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, God, make yourself known. God, help me hear the words that I've not been able to hear. God, help cut through every single barrier or obstacle. God, help me hear from you because I need you. We love you and pray in your name. Amen. In Acts 1, today we're talking about the before and after, and it's talking about the ascension. And Jesus was taken up into heaven. Why is that important? Why is it important that Jesus was taken up into heaven? Why is it important that we see that? Acts 1, I'm going to read it quickly. It says, in my former book, the Theopolis, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Now here's what, I, if you've got your bulletin, you've got a, a, a note sheet, what I want you to do is take your pen or whatever it is, and I want you to write out whatever comes to your mind, okay? We're going to do something here. We're going to trust that the Holy Spirit is going to speak to you. So I want you to write whatever comes to your mind, and I'm going to ask a couple questions along the way. And so you write down if anything comes to your mind, if nothing comes to your mind, but just take note of it. First question is, it, and it says, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up into heaven. What are you doing and teaching about? What is it that you're doing and teaching about until the Lord takes you up? What are you passing on to your kids? What are you passing on to the coworkers and the people around you? What are you doing and teaching about 
until the day you're taken to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. Out to the right, are you convinced? Jesus gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. Are you convinced? He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke to them about the kingdom of God. On one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. What is God asking you to wait, wait for right now? What's God asking you to wait for right now? But wait for the gift my father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you, are you going to, at this time, going to restore the kingdom to Israel? What they were basically saying is, God, are you going to do it the way we want it? Jesus, are you going to just restore the kingdom to Israel right now? Because we're having to sit here under this oppressive rule of the Romans. Are you going to restore it to the kingdom of Israel? Could be like right now. Are you going to put the Democrats back in power? Are you going to put the Republicans back in power? That's what, that's, that's what they're asking. God, please, I'm praying, I'm begging you. Do this. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power. But you will receive power when the Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What are you a witness to? What are you a witness to? After he said this, he was taken up before their eyes and a cloud hid them from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when his two men suddenly dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who's been taken from heaven into heaven will come back in the same way and have seen him go to heaven. And he skipped down in 14. It said, they all joined constantly together in prayer along with the women and Mary and the mother of Jesus and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers. There was 120. Okay, that 120, one of the things about that 120 is if you know and if you read the stories of Jesus, when Jesus was walking the earth in these towns, there were 5,000 people that he fed, right? There were so many different times that the crowds got so big and pressed on and were the, all of them calling him, a lot of them calling them disciples. They were the disciples. They pressed and followed him everywhere. Why? Because they'd never heard a man teach like that. Why? Because they'd never seen anything like it. The miracles and all that they had seen him do, they wanted to be a part of it. So they'd go town to town, thousands of people, men, women, and children, town to town, watching him, learning, listening. And so what would happen in, that, in, that, in the midst of that? Jesus gave a couple hard conversations, a couple hard messages that we find in John 6, and we don't have time to talk about them. But in John 6, if you want to read about it, Jesus got up and said some things that were tough, that they were like, I don't really like how that goes. You know, this, what you're saying requires something of me. You know, it's kind of like Derek and Jennifer going, you know what, at one point, they, Derek told me that they just said, this is it. We're not going to pursue this anymore. And I don't really like what it's requiring of me, but I'm going to follow anyway. And so those thousands of people that were following all over, at the end, when he ascended up into heaven, there were only 120 left. Stand firm. What you will know is that throughout your Christian life, throughout your life, coming up, showing to church, showing up at church on Sundays and whatever, this being it, what you're going to learn is you're going to go, yeah, I used to go to church, but you know, I don't know, I kind of fell away. Stand firm, hold unswervingly. Stand firm. There were only 120 left because they all fell away because it got hard. 
don't let that be you. Don't let that be you, that times get tough and you don't like how things go and so you quit. We are in a world full of quitters. If we're the light of the world, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden, then we shouldn't be a bunch of quitters. We should be marked by all standards as people that endure and persevere to the end. Why? Because that's what the Bible says. The mark of a Christian, a follower of Christ, is the one that endures and perseveres to the end. Not the one who just sits there and makes a few statements about their life and says they believe and shows up every now and then. But the one who says, I believe, and even though you've required much of me, much hurt, much pain that I've had to walk through, I still believe. 1 Peter 1.9 says that your perseverance through all of those things, all those hardships, infertility, all these different divorce affairs, whatever it is, your perseverance through the ridicule, the bullying in school, through whatever it is, through getting cut from the football team, through all these different things that the enemy tried to do in your life to discourage you and to get you derailed. What happens is if you persevere to the end, you win. There's a crown, there's eternal life, there's life much bigger than this, vapor or mist. It's so much bigger. And that's why, why does the ascension matter? Because, because Jesus ascended, this is why, because Jesus resurrected from that grave, because he raised up from the dead and conquered death, you know what that means? That means the Bible says he was the firstborn among the dead. You know what that means? There are more to come. If he was just the firstborn, then there's more to follow. Are you the more to follow? Are you gonna be raised up from the dead? And if he was the first to ascend up into heaven to be with his father, there's more to come. That means that if we believe in the resurrection and believe in Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you believe that and you live that and you hold, for, hold and stand firm to the end and persevere, that's yours. That resurrection is yours. John eleven twenty five through 26, you read it later. That resurrection is yours. You're never gonna die. Never. And you're also going to be raised up into heaven, just like he was. He's going to come back and he's going to take you with him. You know what we see, the why the ascension matters? It's because it's the goal for all of us. Because we all know we're going to die. And we all hope that one day we're going to raise up with him. That's why it matters. It's the goal. It's the picture of proof that it happened. So the ascension matters to us because it's what we all point to. All your loved ones that have died and gone on and you go, I just know they're in a better place. Why? Because they were a good person. They're not in a better place because they were a good person. Okay? Let's get that straight. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you don't believe in the resurrection, there's no resurrection for you. If you don't believe in the ascension that Jesus rose up and went with the Father, there's no ascension for you. You can stop with the wishful thinking. It's time to face reality. Hope is b rooted in evidence that it's true. Wishful thinking is, there's no truth to it. There's no evidence. You're just wishing it would happen. I don't want you to be people wishing. I want you to be people who stand firm and hold because they believe. They believe. Now, why did Jesus, why did Jesus say that in John 16, Jesus said, it's better for you, he told his disciples, it's better for you that I go away. They were heart sick. They were like, why, why, what do you mean it's better? We've never met a man like you. Being around you has made us actually relevant because we were less than. 
And now we're relevant because we're around you. How can it be better for you to go away for us? How can that be better for us? And in John 14, what Jesus said is this. If you love me, keep my commands and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you, with, help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Before long the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. What Jesus said to them is that it's better that I go away because I'm, my father is gonna send an advocate, a helper called the Holy Spirit. It's better that I go away because then you, my presence in and around you is one thing and it's great. But what's even better is that my spirit, my presence comes to dwell in each of you. That is even better that's better than just having him in the room. It's better to have him in you. And that's the Holy Spirit. And that's why we talk about the Holy Spirit all the time. And, and so much of the time we go, oh, that sounds like real mystical and hocus pocus and whatever. It's not. Acts 1.8 says you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Well, what power is that? What does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit's an advocate. It helps you. It guides you into truth. It warns you. It convicts you. The Holy Spirit is what you feel, that tug in you when you go, I shouldn't be doing that. I shouldn't be doing that. Or I need to do something different here. The Holy Spirit is what tells Derek and Jennifer to quit. I got a different plan for you. The Holy Spirit is what guides you into truth. How do you know, how do you know that you hear the Holy Spirit? Because you wanna make sure that you know that. Why? Because Ephesians 1 says this. Ephesians 1 says, also you were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed. You were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, God's possession praise to his glory. What Ephesians 1 says is the Holy Spirit, for all of you who doubt your salvation, for all of you who grew up in a church that used to, my, we, we were Southern Baptists growing up, and this pastor used to scare the crud out of me every single week. I mean, it terrified me. I, I, I couldn't stand that guy because every week he'd be like, we're in the end times and blah, 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 blah. You're gonna bust hell wide open. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, as a teenager, I'm terrified. You know, and it was all this, you gotta pray this magic prayer. And if you, if you were to die today, do you know you're gonna spend eternity, heaven or hell? That's what they'd say all the time. If you were to die today, do you know where you're gonna spend eternity? And I don't know about you, but even as a teenager, even as a, a, a guy who didn't know a whole lot, that mattered to me. It mattered where I was gonna spend eternity. It mattered because I know that I'm gonna die one day. And it matters where I'm gonna spend the rest of my life. So he'd sit there and say that all the time. And, I, and, and, and I'd get this answer that, oh, you just gotta pray and, and the Lord knows if, you're, if you really mean it or not. So you don't just pray and say, Lord, come into my heart and be Lord of my life. He knows if you really mean it or not. That's what I heard all the time as a kid. And I used to always doubt. I prayed that prayer 10,000 times. No doubt because I was terrified of what was to come. And I was terrified that I'd be left standing because I didn't really mean it. So now, here's what I've come to know. It's not a magic fairy dust prayer. It is a commitment. It is a recognition that Jesus, I need you. I can't do this without you. I don't understand it all. I'm asking you to help me. 
Lord, help me increase my faith. Lord, increase it. God, bring the Holy Spirit. Why does the Holy Spirit matter? Because that Ephesians passage says, for all that have doubted, and I've talked to many that have been walking this faith out for a long time and doubted whether their faith was real. I said, have you ever heard the Holy Spirit? They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you sure? No doubt. Yeah, no doubt. And I said, then you don't have anything to fear. Because Ephesians 1 says that the Holy Spirit is the seal of the promise, the deposit guaranteeing salvation. It is it. There is no doubt. God doesn't break his promises. If he breaks that promise, they all fall down. He doesn't break his promise. So if you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, it's the seal of the promise, the deposit guaranteeing that your eternity will be ascending. That's what it means. That's why it matters. So how do I know that I hear the Holy Spirit? Okay, the Holy Spirit guides into all truth. How do I know that? We're gonna talk more about the Holy Spirit next week, but how do I know that the, the, the Holy Spirit is speaking to me? You know what? One of the things that I, I've learned over the years is that I know for a, a fact that the Holy Spirit has spoken to me on numerous occasions. And it's, it's weird how it, how it happens. And I know that you may go, oh, I don't, I don't think he's ever spoken to me. Well, here's some of how it goes down. Have you ever just felt prompted to call somebody and you don't even know why it just popped in your head and you're like, I should call them or I should text them. You know, Megan, who's not here this week, Megan and I were talking one day and Megan just felt prompted to call this person, okay? She felt out of the blue, she just was like, this felt like I was supposed to call this person. And she called the woman up and the woman answered the phone and she said, just screamed, how did you know? How did you know? The woman was bawling. She was in a tub, shower curtain pulled, gun to her head, praying, prayed one last prayer and said, God, if this isn't what you want, then give me a sign. Phone rings. It's Megan Truex. Wow. Holy Spirit moment, would you say? Time and place, perfect time, just like God, right? How many times has that happened to you? How many times have you just called and somebody go, how did you know to call me? I mean, I, am, I have been struggling. How did you know? How did you know I needed that bag of groceries? How did you know I needed help? How did you know to even ask me? You know, you sit here, you give a message or whatever, and you're like, man, it's like you were talking directly to me. I've had people say it all, uh, a, a bunch of different times. It's like you were speaking right to me. How did you know? It's the Holy Spirit. I didn't know. But he did. And he told me to call. He prompted me to call. And so that's what happens in our life is that we sit there and we learn to trust that. The, the Bible says that my sheep hear my voice and they know me. Okay, it paints Jesus as the good shepherd. That the shepherd that takes care of, he is the head of the church. He is the shepherd that takes care of all of us. And he says, my sheep hear my voice and they know me. Okay? So for you, do you hear the voice of the Lord? And have you learned to trust it? Because here's what's happened in life, and this may be for some of you. The thing, the, here's the value, the plug for reading the Bible and knowing scripture is that when you're sitting here having a conversation with somebody and all of a sudden this random passage that you memorized when you were in sixth grade in Awana's, me, um, comes to your head that you don't even know why you know it, but you know it, guess what that is? That's the Holy Spirit. Because it wasn't like I was thinking of that one. You know, that little competition in Awana's when I learned like 200 verses because they'd give me silver dollars in elementary school. My, the, the teacher give me silver dollars and it was a competition. So you know what? It wasn't because I was all spiritual. It's because it was about winning and it was about money. But you know what? Here's the beauty in what God does. I had no idea that he was storing all of that away for another day. 
that those were all those verses were deposits for another day. So that why? So that I could hear the Holy Spirit of God tell me what to say in the perfect moment. That's why you learn to trust because the sheep hear my voice and they know me. The voice of God is written right here. Every doggone word of it. You know what? If you know that, you know the voice of the Lord. And all of these verses, so what happens is when you're, when you're sitting here and you've got this big temptation coming in front of you and all of a sudden this verse pops into your head and you're like, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. But God is faithful. He will not tempt you beyond what you can bear. Okay? No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. So in all of that, that's the Holy Spirit speaking to me in the midst of that temptation. For you, if you're single or if you're married and straying or if you're a student and whatever, how about this one? You're sitting here and you're getting all like worked up in your mind about things or whatever or porn or whatever it is. And all of a sudden, what do you do? You hear this voice, this verse that pops in your head. You don't even know it's a verse. And you go, it's like the lamb going to slaughter. So is the young man who gets in Jezebel's bed. It's like the lamb going to slaughter. So is the young man that gets in Jezebel's bed. If you are in that moment and you hear that voice, you know that's the Holy Spirit. You better run. You better run. If it's you that lives in fear and anxiety, it's, uh, this is what happens. You're living, you figure out you're fearful and, and all of a sudden it's like, God did not give you the spirit of timidity or fear, but of power and love and self-discipline. That's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. Do you know it? It's better that Jesus goes away because the Holy Spirit's gonna come. He's gonna live in you and he's gonna speak to you. He's gonna guide you into all truth and he's gonna help you stand firm and he's gonna help you hold, unswer- hold unswervingly and he's gonna help you wait on the things that he wants you to wait for. He's gonna help you adapt and adjust to what he's asked you to do. He's going to equip you. He's gonna give you everything you need to accomplish what he's asked of you. That's what the Holy Spirit's gonna do in your life. Do you believe it? We're gonna talk more about the Holy Spirit next week. I would encourage you to come. Because it's important to talk about the thing that's better that Jesus goes away because it means that we have him living in us. So we're gonna talk more about that next week. Here's the thing for you today. Do you believe it? Do you believe in the resurrection? Do you believe in the ascension? Have you gotten to the point where you believe it? Are you convinced Are you listening to the Spirit of God speak to you wherever you're at? Are you letting God have your way, have his way? And are you standing firm and holding to the end? That's what he wants from you. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would burn all of this into our minds. God, burn it into our hearts. Lord, help us to have a hunger and thirst for righteousness that we can't even explain. God, I pray that you would just pour out on the dry bones, pour out this consuming fire on us that burns up everything that does not belong. God, help us to know and believe that we have met you. God, make yourself so known to us that we can't deny it. God, help us live in, in the word of your, of the, in the blood of the lamb and the power of your testimony that you've done in us. God, help us to know that the, the, the story that you've written in, in my life and in our lives, it's important, it matters. God, help us to know what that story looks like. Help, it, help our eyes to be able to see it as you see it. And help us to know the power of telling it. God, give us opportunities to tell the story this week. God, help us to know through the power of the Holy Spirit as we're sitting at work or school or whatever that we sit there and, and, and we have this moment, Lord. I'm asking for moments where, where it's like somebody asked a question and it's our opportunity to say, 
I know where you're coming from. And his name's Jesus. He's the only one that has been able to make all things work together for the good. He's the only one that has been able to take this mess of a life and make it worth something. God, help us to stand and proclaim your goodness to your glory. God, we love you and we thank you so much for all you're doing in our life. And pray it in your name, amen.